Hey, everybody. It is September 21st, 2023, Earth, Wind, and Fire Day. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. <laughs> and I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, do you remember the 21st night of September? Do you remember? So that song was on what my husband called the do not play list at our wedding, where he told the <laughs> band, do not play that song. I guess he just felt like it's, you know, too popular. Well, there's one day a year where we're going to talk about it, Mike. And this is the day, <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire Day. By the way, fun fact about that song they went with that date because it worked with the lyrics. There's no significance to the 21st of September to them otherwise. It just happens to rhyme with remember. <laughs> yes, That's it. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of dates, though, I want to quickly mention I am off tomorrow on Friday to celebrate the wedding of one Jen Burke. Jen, congratulations to you and Mikey. She is a um, she is an avid Mo News listener. But that means, Mosh that if Baby O arrives, there is not going to be a podcast tomorrow. Correct. It'll either be a solo edition or I will be in the delivery room, God willing. So uh, it's going to be at least a three-day weekend, if not a four-day weekend for everyone, because keep in mind, uh, the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur is on Monday. And so we'll be off on Monday. So there could be a podcast on Friday. It would just be me. <laughs> there could also not be a podcast on Friday. There will also not be a podcast on Monday. But at least Jill will be back on Tuesday, everybody. That's right, Mosh. I'll be holding down the fort while you are gone, while the cat's away. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is now starting to sound like a Zoom meeting. Now that we've gotten the schedule and logistics out of the way, Jill, should we get to the news? Let's do it. A status update on the economy. When the Federal Reserve says that inflation will hit its target of 2% and why sky-high home prices are expected to continue to climb despite higher mortgage rates, Meanwhile, Airbnb says it's cracking down on fake listings on its site, just as New York City cracks down on Airbnbs in New York. On to politics. Attorney General Merrick Garland facing tough questions from Republicans on Hunter Biden and Donald Trump. Plus, Elon Musk's controversial brain implant startup set to begin human trials. Do you trust him with your brain? No, but the technology is very cool and potentially life-changing. All right, we'll get to that in a little bit. Prince William going where no one except maybe Kramer has gone before, into New York's East River. I'm told, Jill, it's getting a bit cleaner these days. Which international airport will soon be passport-free? And a business story in Forbes about a little news startup. It's called Mo News. Have you ever heard of it? An exciting profile to tell you about in this podcast. Plus, Moish has on this day in history. Jill, we got a little French Revolution. We got a little FDR. And we'll tell you about a 24-year-old little-known actor named George Clooney, who made his first appearance on this day. Okay, let's start with the economy. First, the Federal Reserve wrapped up its meeting this week and decided against another interest rate hike. The last time the Fed raised rates back in July, that was the 11th rate hike since March of 2022, part of its plan to bring down inflation. But for now, a break. As for what's next, the Fed indicated that there could be at least one more rate hike this year. According to their latest economic projections, they expect that interest rates will have to stay higher for a longer period of time than initially estimated. So they expect inflation will be coming down to their target of 2% by 2026. That feels far, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're almost done with 23. We're only a couple months now from 24, Jill. Baby O will be two. 
I'll put it that way. I'll make sure to tell her one day about the interest rates in her first couple of years of life. <laughs> well, if she's having trouble falling asleep, that sounds like a great conversation. Uh, meanwhile, though, that does mean higher prices on everything from food to gas could be here for quite a while. Now, the good news when it comes to all of this is that by acknowledging they don't need to raise rates right now means that they believe the economy is stronger than initially expected. They feel like inflation has dropped to a level uh, that they can tolerate for a bit without raising rates again. We have been on recession watch for months. We've been telling you about this on this podcast for at least a year. But it looks like, fingers crossed, we may have reached what they call that soft landing after all, increasing rates, bring down inflation without uh, completely collapsing the economy. Now, with that said, the Fed funds rate is in the range of 5.25 to 5.5% after all these hikes over the past year and a half. And that is the highest in 22 years. Jill, you mentioned that they may raise rates one more time. uh, And then according to their documents, it looks like they'll have a couple interest rate cuts next year. Now, they were looking potentially at four previously, now only two. Now, the issue is with these rates high, what does that mean? Well, higher credit card interest, car loans, uh, mortgage rates, the 30-year mortgage remains uh, at just about 7.3% for a 30-year fixed right now. And so that's a challenge. And we'll get to more about housing here in a second. The good news, of course, with high interest rates means you are yielding more when it comes to treasuries, when it comes to your savings account, if that means anything. I just moved some money to money market, actually, because of the interest rates. So there is some good news for savers here. But of course, this has been hugely challenging for people, especially trying to buy a home with these 30-year mortgage at above 7%. Now, a number of groups, Zillow, the National Association of Realtors, say they expect at the same time that home prices will continue to rise through next year. The reason? There just is not enough homes being built right now to keep up with demand. Plus, you have a whole bunch of people who locked in low mortgages, right, 2 or 3% on the 30-year, and they don't want to sell right now and have to take out a new 30-year at a 7% rate. So a lot of people are sitting on their inventory. Not enough homes were built. Uh, and so they believe, the National Association of Realtors believes that home prices could rise by another 2.5% next year. Uh, That's already on top of a 42% increase in home prices just over the last three years. That 42% number is wild. It has made homeownership very challenging. And we've talked about this on this podcast, you know, a lot more people going to renting, you have a lot more apartments being built in cities where you didn't have that much inventory, uh, just because this is where we're at. And this goes back, Jill, now decades of just a lackluster amount of uh, homes being built, and particularly the homes people need. A lot of really expensive homes are being built, but uh, in terms of homes, much more affordable, closer to the average uh, price of $400,000 right now, uh, not enough. Speaking of housing, Airbnb says that it's going to use AI to crack down on fake listings on its platform, which have become a major problem for users. Airbnb saying it removed 59,000 fake listings and prevented another 157,000 from joining the platform this year. Later this year, the company will start verifying all listings in its top five markets. According to a survey, some of the biggest issues that Airbnb users have with the platform are fake listings and also high cleaning fees. The CEO, Brian Chesky, saying they're also going to start what's called seasonal dynamic pricing, which means they'll be cutting prices during the off-season 
but potentially raising prices in peak times. Sounds like a hotel to me. (laughs) It comes as New York City is among the places in the U.S. right now that is enforcing new strict regulations that limit residents' ability to rent out homes on platforms like Airbnb. The new regulations require hosts in New York to register with the city to be allowed to rent on a short-term basis. Also, they have to stay there with any guests. They're limited to two guests. There's a whole bunch of rules that basically eliminate your ability to really Airbnb your place. Airbnb has called it a de facto ban. Uh, New York dealing with an inventory shortage, uh, rental rates sky high. And the concern among uh, officials here was that too many people are uh, renting out to Airbnb, leaving a, a lack of housing available for city residents. So the city estimates there were 11,000 Airbnb listings as of March that were actually illegal short-term rentals. Again, they say that renting those homes to tourists and visitors has made the housing shortage worse in the city. Okay, now to D.C., where we're inching closer to a potential government shutdown. The deadline, September 30th. The core issue is how much money the government should spend next year. But the fight over the budget has broken down into fighting amongst House GOP members. Earlier this year, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden agreed on a $1.6 trillion budget. But over the past few weeks, members of the hard right House Freedom Caucus have said that they want to cut that down to $1.4 trillion. So what is on the chopping block? House Republicans looking for cuts to the IRS, SEC, Consumer Product Safety Commission, the education budget, and a list of other federal agencies. Overall, they are asking to cut discretionary spending by about 8% for agencies outside of defense, veterans affairs, and disaster relief. Democrats in the House have said this is a no-go. And over in the Senate, Democrats and most Republicans have also been opposed. Yeah. And by the way, we're talking here about a couple hundred billion dollars. Uh, Democrats, the White House saying, listen, we made a deal back in the spring. We're not going to backtrack on this deal because House conservatives want to even cut more. We need to abide by the deal we already had and keep the government open. So while typically congressional fights seem to be across party lines, right now, most of the fighting, Jill, is between House Republicans themselves right now, making Speaker McCarthy's job nearly impossible. By the way, he's only had that job for just over six months after there were 15 votes on him to become Speaker. And we always knew that when push came to shove at times like these, that five-seat majority that barely got him across that finish line in January was going to continue to make his life challenging. So right now, he's got about eight and a half days to figure this out. He said that he's going to keep everyone through the weekend to try to come up with a compromise. But he's got some stalwarts in his caucus who say, listen, I was sent here to cut, cut, cut. And I don't care if that means shutting down the government. McCarthy trying to plead with them, trying to make compromises with them. In the meantime, though, what does a shutdown mean if it happens in about nine days time? Well, as soon as the government runs out of funding officially next Saturday, hundreds of thousands of federal workers will be sent home and will be unpaid for the duration of the shutdown. They will then get back pay when the government opens back up unclear when that happens. And of course, you got to continue to pay your bills during that time. So during that time, certain workers will be deemed essential who will continue to work, but also be unpaid. As far as what stays open, any position that's considered public safety, postal workers, military operations, air traffic control, though back in 2019, during that shutdown, they stopped working. Medical care for veterans, as well as the supplemental nutrition assistance program for a lot of Americans who depend on that. Also, what's closed during a shutdown? 
national parks, national monuments. Uh, I hope you don't have a D.C. trip planned anytime soon because the Smithsonian shuts down during a government shutdown. There are also going to be delays in processing passports, visa applications, food inspections. That's not good. Environmental inspections. Also, the National Institutes of Health would be prevented from admitting new patients. And that's just a bit of what happens if the government shuts down next weekend. Some background here. There have been 14 shutdowns since 1981, ranging from a single day to a 35-day shutdown back in 2018. So that lasted more than a month, and it started because of a dispute between President Trump and Democrats over the U.S.-Mexico border wall. As you mentioned before, that shutdown ended when air traffic controllers stopped reporting to work, which caused major delays at the country's airports. By the way, to put a button on that, Jill, at the end of the day, Trump didn't get his border wall. He had to basically uh, concede defeat on that one and uh, reopen the government. He eventually declared an emergency and tried to get some funding from a different cause. But that does go to show you that for the most part, you know, Kevin McCarthy, Republicans are worried that this shutdown will backfire on them, similar to that shutdown several years ago. And we're going into an election year. As far as what we can expect here, uh, our friends over at Punchbowl News, which is a daily kind of insider congressional newsletter, have laid out three options for Kevin McCarthy, and none of them very good. Number one, do what his caucus wants, which is pass whatever they want, this 8% cut, basically give them everything, and then send it over to the Senate. Well, what's the Senate going to do? Well, we don't want that. That's crazy. They're going to cut all that stuff out of it and send it back to the House for a clean bill that the president can sign. Well, what does he do then? He's stuck. Number two, Democrats have been saying in the House, hey, Kevin, you only have a five-seat majority. Most of us want to keep the government open here. You just need to bring a couple of Republicans over, and we can pass something with you. Well, that works in a West Wing-style world. That's how that would work. <laughs> an ideal, like, kumbaya, let me work with Democrats. What does that mean for Kevin McCarthy? His speakership is done. The hardcore conservatives will be like, well, you literally rejected us for the Democrats. We don't want you working with that other side. And so then it's over. So he solves the crisis for the country and the government, but potentially likely loses his speakership. Option three, do nothing at all and effectively shut down the government and see how long this lasts. So right now, based on where his caucus is, where Matt Gates and some of these hardcore conservatives are, a shutdown looks very likely unless he can figure out some deal, Jill, to kick the shutdown. This is what he's trying to get, a 30-day extension. So a shutdown October 30th instead of September 30th to give himself four more weeks here. Uh, that's another scenario that you know is very Congress, which is we can't solve it, but let's push back the deadline. Bottom line, not looking good. All right, we've got a lot to get to on this podcast, but we want to talk about a new partner that we have that is amazing for anyone out there with small businesses or for anyone who's ready to launch their own startup. How does this sound make you feel? Show me the money. <laughs> okay, that is the sound of a sale using Shopify. If you're a business owner, you're always looking for a solution to get your product to as many people as possible. Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or you're much bigger, if you're IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you will need to start, run, and grow your business 
without the struggle. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify is the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. And right now there is a special deal for the Mo News community. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monews, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash monews to take your business to the next level today. Jill, do you feel like I've brought some good energy to today's podcast? Totally. You're crushing it. (laughs) Well, I might have to give some credit to the AG1 I took this morning. I first tried Athletic Greens AG1 powder last year when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients, and I found it to be really easy and really quick. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It lets you get on with your day knowing you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your digestion and gut health. And right now, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit their website right now, drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. That's where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it just one time. Again, the website, drinkag1.com slash monews. M-O-N-E-W-S, and really start to take some ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the Washington Post. House Republicans clashed with Attorney General Merrick Garland on Wednesday, accusing him and the Justice Department of, quote, weaponization of the department's work in favor of President Biden's son, Hunter. Garland's appearance before the House Judiciary Committee was his first in two years, and it came at an unprecedented moment in the department's history. He's overseeing two cases against Donald Trump, the first former president to face criminal charges, and another against the sitting president's son. Oh, and he also has another special counsel looking into the president's classified documents, President Biden's classified documents. He's, he's got a lot under his belt. At this point, Mosh, who even wants to be attorney general? <laughs> no, no. You know, it's so funny because Merrick Garland, if people recall, just a few years ago, was nominated to be Supreme Court justice by Barack Obama, but blocked by Mitch McConnell until Trump was elected. And then President Trump got his pick in, Neil Gorsuch, at the time. So Merrick Garland would have had this job for life as Supreme Court justice. In the meantime, he had to wait four years, didn't get that job and got this job where, you know, literally he's got more special counsels than he can count on one hand. Yeah. Back to what happened on Wednesday. Republicans on the committee led by Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio set the tone with accusations that the Justice Department is favoring the Biden family while targeting his likely 2024 opponent, Donald Trump. So we wanted to play a bit of Merrick Garland reiterating the department's independence. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. So you hear that from the attorney general. You know, I uh, am not the president's lawyer. I am not Congress's prosecutor. We work for the American people. I am not personally involved here, despite what you may accuse me of. I've put special counsels in charge here. I'm keeping myself out of it. He also denounced these escalating threats against prosecutors, including Jack Smith, the special counsel investigating and leading the two indictments against Trump. Additionally, he pushed back on the threats against FBI agents, all the rhetoric you've heard lately from the right really going after the Justice Department. 
He told members yesterday, quote, singling out individual career public servants who are just doing their jobs is dangerous, particularly at a time of increased threats to the safety of public servants and their families. He reacted angrily at times in this hearing when a Republican committee member called out a career prosecutor by name, replying to them, we will not be intimidated. We will do our jobs free from outside influence, and we will not back down from defending our democracy. As expected, it was extremely contentious uh, yesterday over several hours. Republicans, though, were focused, including on claims by a former IRS investigator. We've mentioned him a couple times in this podcast, Gary Shapley, who said that David Weiss, the prosecutor investigating Hunter Biden, was blocked from fully investigating Hunter because of influence by the White House. Now, again, David Weiss has not said this. Merrick Garland pushed back on this. But this IRS investigator said behind closed doors, Weiss totally told me this. Weiss now publicly said, I was always able to do my job. Nevertheless, Republicans focused on those Shapley remarks, really tried to push Garland hard, saying, you know, uh, ultimately, your department is biased. Your department is fighting on behalf of the president here. And Garland reiterated, again, I'm here for the American people. I am not doing anything at the behest of Joe Biden. And it was just a lot of that back and forth. From CNN, Elon Musk's controversial biotechnology startup Neuralink opened up recruitment for its first human clinical trial. After receiving approval from an independent review board, Neuralink is set to begin offering brain implants to paralysis patients as part of the PRIME study. This is according to the company. PRIME is short for Precise Robotically Implanted Brain Computer Interface, and it's being carried out to evaluate both the safety and the functionality of the implant How this works is patients will have a chip surgically placed in the part of the brain that controls the intention to move. The chip is installed by a robot, and it will then record and send brain signals to an app, with the initial goal being, quote, to grant people the ability to control a computer cursor or keyboard using their thoughts alone. People who are quadriplegic because of surgical spine cord injury could qualify for the six-year-long study. So it's 18 months of at-home and clinic visits, followed by follow-up visits for over five years. So Musk has been working on Neuralink's goal of using implants to connect the human brain to a computer for at least five years now. But so far, the company has only tested on animals. The company has faced a lot of scrutiny when it comes to their animal testing after a monkey died in project testing back last year as part of efforts to get the animal to play Pong, one of the first video games. In one instance back in 2021, a couple years ago, the company implanted 25 out of 60 pigs with the wrong size devices. All of the pigs were subsequently killed, an error that employees said could have been easily avoided with more preparation. In his new book about Elon Musk, Neuralink's founder here, Walter Isaacson said that Musk was inspired by science fiction authors to pursue a human-machine interface technology called Neuralace that is implanted into people and can connect all of their thoughts to computers. The big challenge for Musk until now was getting FDA approval. Uh, He forecasted human trials at the startup at least four times since 2019, yet the company wasn't ready to seek FDA approval until last year. And the first go-around, the FDA rejected their bid for approval for human testing, citing safety concerns about parts of the implant migrating to other parts of the brain and possible brain tissue damage when those devices were removed. 
Musk in December then said they resubmitted to the FDA and they ultimately got approval this spring. Uh, The company had hoped to receive approval to implant its device in 10 patients, but apparently, and again, it's unclear here how many patients they got approval for from the FDA after those safety concerns. So we don't know exactly how many patients here the FDA approved, but they did give some approval here. And clearly, Jill, as you mentioned, they've begun their recruitment here. So it remains to be seen what happens here with this first clinical trial. All right. First, it was a run in Central Park and now Prince William going where few others have gone before. This from The New York Times. Prince William takes a dip in New York's East River. I love their write up here. They say wearing a fluorescent orange life preserver and rubber gloves that reached his biceps. Prince William waded ever so carefully into New York's East River. A minor slip might have been embarrassing. A splash, nothing short of an international incident. It had been raining since early morning. Damp onlookers watched the prince toss a few juvenile oysters in a bucket and then wade through waist deep water until he reached the shore. Relief was palpable among staff of Billion Oyster Project, a nonprofit aiming to restore oyster reefs to New York's waterways. Jill, based on the photos I saw, it appears he was just waiting there with, you know, big pants. He wasn't taking a a full Cosmo Kramer like swim in the East River, uh, which, by the way, we should note is not actually a river. It's an estuary that connects Long Island Sound. Um, to- <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not a real river. We have a real river in New York. It's the Hudson River over on the west side. The East River is basically a man made thing that connects two bodies of water. It's a saltwater estuary for those keeping score at home. Needless to say, just you. <laughs> I'm the only one keeping keeping score at home. For everyone else keeping score of New York's waterways. All right. So he's in the East River (laughs) estuary. Meanwhile, let's get to this project. Back in 2014, they founded it, and their aim is to restore 1 billion live oysters to a harbor where they once thrived. Some shells are placed directly into New York Harbor to be taken up uh, by oyster larvae, and others are fostered in oyster nurseries. The oysters are intended not to be eaten, I was actually going to ask about this, but to improve the harbor's biodiversity and to protect the city against flooding. Jill, we should note that the water has gotten so much cleaner around New York in recent decades that there have been dolphins spotted in recent years. And, you know, city officials taking credit for the fact that they have been able to clean up the waterways here so much that wildlife wants to come back. We should note, by the way, that William's visit to New York coincides with Climate Week here. A summit on climate action uh, takes place alongside the U.N. General Assembly. William also met with the U.N. Secretary General and announced finalists for the Earthshot Prize. Those are awards that come from his climate-focused charity that he founded back in 2020. From CNN, traveling through one of the world's best airports set to get even smoother next year. Starting in 2024, officials say Singapore's international airport will introduce automated immigration clearance. So this will let passengers leave the city state without passports using only biometric data. Biometric technology, along with facial recognition software, is already in use to some extent in the airport at automated lanes at immigration checkpoints. But officials say that the 
these upcoming changes will really reduce the need for passengers to repeatedly have to present their travel documents and allow for a more seamless and convenient processing. Biometrics will be used to create a single token of authentication that will be employed at various automated touch points from bag drops to immigration clearance and boarding. And that will eliminate the need for physical travel documents like boarding passes and passports. However, passports will still be required by many countries outside of Singapore that do not offer passport-free clearance. So if you've ever been there, it is uh, ranked as one of the world's best airports, also one of the world's busiest airports. Jill, the shopping there is amazing. If you ever get a chance to uh, fly through Singapore on your way to you know most parts of the globe, it serves 100 airlines that fly to 400 different cities. And what they're doing here, uh, they're not alone. Seamless travel has been catching on around the world. Biometric ID is soon going to be the future of travel. It's going to be the reality of travel. Uh, Back in 2018, Dubai International Airport introduced what they call biometric smart gate tunnels, which uses facial recognition to verify travelers' identities in as little as five seconds. Passengers are also allowed to use their fingerprints or face scans for authentication rather than rely on physical passports. And already other airports around the world are uh, starting to do this. Hong Kong, Tokyo, Delhi, Heathrow, Paris are among those where you might be seeing this very soon. In the U.S., major airlines here like American, United and Delta have also been experimenting with biometric check-in, bag drops and boarding gates at select airports for the last couple of years. Jill, I was looking at some survey data here in terms of how many people are willing to you know, give up their biometric information and face scan in order for convenience. And while just back in 2018, it was 46 percent, it's now 76 percent based on the latest data. I wonder how much of that has to do with your iPhone. Um, And just that we've gotten used to using our face for things, but it might not be very far away where you walk in and you have that scan. I know I've been doing it for a number of years as a member of Clear, where you get to skip ahead and move really quickly through the airport. But of course, you're using either your fingerprint or a retinal scan in order to achieve that convenience. Okay, and our last story from Forbes magazine how Mo News and TMX are disrupting the digital news landscape. Mosh, amazing. Very cool. I love being in the speed read ourselves for once. Uh, Forbes magazine profiled us. We'll include a link in the show notes talking about what we're building here. Jill, it includes a photo of you and me recording a podcast a few weeks ago um, over in our offices, our WeWork offices. Remember when you came to visit? Mosh, of course I do. I think this is so exciting. I loved the article. I loved your Godfather reference. When you were talking about how you had maybe left the industry and then kind of got pulled back in. Yeah, it tells it tells the story, the journey back to news and the story of Mo News. And it always makes me think of the uh, Godfather uh, Corleone quote, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. I was trying to take a break from news in 2019. And just a few months later, COVID would hit and I'd find myself realizing that I needed to get back into news coverage. But the piece was really interesting just in terms of of digital news and how it is different from traditional media. And I also liked some of your tips that you included. You said, go to where the audience is, embrace new platforms, customize your content, be ready to be agile, pivot. Most importantly, listen to your audience 
As you note, so much of the traditional media has, quote, failed to recognize that news consumers now demand more. I feel weird quoting you to you here. <laughs> Jill, I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, I think I did. Um, you know, you and I both worked in traditional media for many years. And I think by leaving it, you realize uh, what we didn't know or what we didn't realize and one of them is this theme, right? And this is something we've picked up from all of you in the Mo News audience that, you know, you do demand more in terms of facts. You want to be taken seriously. You want the news delivered to you in a conversational style. And you want to decide how you feel about things. You also want to know a bit about our process and why we're choosing the stories we are, um, why we're quoting the people we are. And that's something we try to do here. And so that's something we focused on in the piece. Again, we have a link in there. But uh, grateful to Forbes, grateful to the writer there, Jessica Abo, for profiling us. And hope that that ensures we continue to grow the reach here of Mo News. Yeah, thank you, Jessica. It was a great piece. All right, that brings us to On This Day in History, Mo News was profiled. Well, besides that, let's start in the 18th century. 1792, the new French Legislative Assembly voted to abolish the monarchy and establish the First Republic. The measure came one year after Louis XVI had to approve a new constitution that stripped him of much of his own power. King Louis and his queen, Marie Antoinette, were imprisoned the previous month in August of 92, 1792. In September, the monarchy is abolished. He's then put on trial for treason. And then in January of 93, just a few months later, King Louis would be guillotined, uh, would be executed. And a few months later, Marie Antoinette would follow. All right, now to the 20th century. On this day in 1939, Franklin Roosevelt appeared before Congress and asked that the Neutrality Acts, a series of laws that had been passed 10 years previous, be amended. He wanted to lift an embargo against sending military aid to countries in Europe facing Nazi aggression. Congress reluctantly said, okay, but you have to sell to everybody who wants weapons. It really helped the U.S. in those initial couple of years, helped the U.K. and France try to hold their own. Of course, in those two years from 39 to 41, the Nazis would take most of Europe. And this is something many Americans don't remember, Jill. America was split on World War II. When the war begins, a lot of polls were taken. A lot of Americans said, I don't know who I agree with, the Nazis or the rest of Europe. America, most Americans just wanted to stay out of the war at that time. It was an uphill battle for FDR to convince Americans, hey, what Japan's doing, what the Nazis are doing is not okay. And of course, we would spend two years, 39, 1940, most of 1941, trying to sell some weapons to help them out as the Nazis and, and Japanese take over half the world. Finally, when Japan bombs Pearl Harbor, followed by Nazis declaring war on us, then we finally get involved in World War II. But those first couple of years, FDR was struggling to convince America that we had to get involved. Yeah, it wasn't until Pearl Harbor. Yeah, and by the way, we might have only fought against the Japanese if not for Hitler declaring war on us after we declared war on Japan. So there's a lot of alternate histories that could have been written there. All right, let's fast forward to some lighter subjects. 1970, on this day in history, 53 years ago, Howard Cosell, some people might remember the famous sports announcer, officially introduces America to Monday Night Football. And 40 years ago today, Jill, the Zach Morris film officially approved by the FCC. It was the Motorola DynaTAC 8000X, the world's first commercial portable cellular phone, that huge brick that you had to hold up to your face. Mosh, our second Saved by the Bell reference in as many days. Yes, Jill, and I made sure to also do a little Saved by the Bell love over on the Instagram account yesterday. So we'll take a break, we promise, for all of you who these references mean nothing. <laughs> 
All right, a bit of pop culture here. On this day in 1985, a little-known actor named George Clooney, he was 24 at the time, appears as a handyman on the sitcom Facts of Life. You might remember this, Facts of Life, one of those iconic TV theme songs from the 80s. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the, the facts, facts of, of life. life. <laughs> the facts of life. <laughs> he would appear on 17 episodes of the show. Uh, later, he would move on to Hollywood stardom. Uh, Jill, some people might remember him on Roseanne, where he was also a uh, supporting actor. I think he was Becky's boyfriend uh, for a couple of years there, one of Aunt Becky's boyfriends, early 90s sitcom reference there for you he would of course break out big time on er and become the george clooney that we know today but it took him a while all right one more tv item here turning 25 years old today will and grace starring deborah messing megan Mullally, sean hayes premiering on nbc september 21st 1998 all right we'll end here with a couple musical items turning 34 years old today biz marquis just a friend oh baby you you got what I need. I mean, that is a great song. And finally, turning 28 today, No Doubts, Just a Girl, released on this day in 1995. All right, No Doubt, a great podcast, but we got to go. We want to thank you for listening to the well Emo done. News well Podcast. Done, <laughs> If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will definitely help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Yeah, those reviews make a difference. If you take a moment to leave us a review, we'd be grateful to you. And again, if you missed it at the top, there might be a podcast tomorrow. There might not be a podcast tomorrow. It really depends on uh, if uh, the baby wants to show up. She's cordially invited anytime she wants. <laughs> but it might mean that there's no podcast on Friday. There will be no podcast on Monday. Jill and potentially me will be back on Tuesday. We'll let you know. <laughs> Mosh, will you be announcing the birth on Instagram? Jill, no formal plans yet. I feel like the White House now. We'll let you know when we have more information <laughs> on that. Okay, we will be anxiously awaiting. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.